Good to see everyone. Glad you're here today. We had a, a great first service. A lot of people here first service, and uh, I know the weather's pretty, so I'm glad that you uh, took time out of your morning to, to be here. I'm glad, glad you uh, made that sacrifice to come to church, and I think that's important. I want to welcome those watching online as well. I uh, hope to see, if, you, if possible, I hope to see you in person soon, but I'm glad that uh, you're able to tune in and be with us today, and uh, we get to wrap up our series on the book of Jeremiah, uh, and so uh, I'm excited about that. few things first, just to share with you before we uh, jump in. One, if you are, have not signed up for our email mailing list, uh, that's enough, I like to share ways you can get connected here, and uh, we do have an email mailing list. You can go to mycornerstone.org and go to under resources and sign up, uh, or actually it's under Get Connected, I think, there. And you can sign up, and, and as we post things on our website, news and updates and prayer requests, they'll get emailed out to you. Um, and so it's just another way you can stay connected throughout the week. So uh, that's encourage you to do that. Uh, also, we've got an opportunity for you to serve this week. Uh, our community meal is Wednesday night, uh, and so... Um, we're doing it a little different since we're back in person finally, and so we do need a little bit more help for that. So uh, if you go to mycornerstone.fyi, you can sign up, and we would love to have you help with us, and uh, uh, we're expecting a big uh, turnout for that, and so it's always great to get to meet people in our community, uh, completely free, and we can have anywhere from 100 to 200 people show up. So uh, it just it's really an awesome ministry, so I invite you to be part of that. Then I want to ask for your prayers this week. Our youth group, uh, our older youth are going to a youth camp. They leave tomorrow morning, uh, be in South Carolina for the week. Uh, so be praying for them that they have an awesome week, that God will move in their lives and they'll learn a lot. Uh, pray for your youth leaders that are going, um, that they keep their sanity this week. Uh, it's going to be a, a fun week for them. Uh, then also... Um, Larry and I will be leaving for Nicaragua on Saturday. So we're going down uh, to check on things, do some ministry. I'll be doing some pastor training there. So we leave Saturday. So be praying for that. International travel is still a little bit uh, fun right now. Um, so be praying that that all goes smoothly um, as we do that. So uh, lots of things going on, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's good, isn't it? It's good to kind of see things get back to... Uh, somewhat normal. Uh, today we get to finish up Jeremiah. We've been in Jeremiah a while, and um, I feel like we still just barely scratched the surface. It's when we do a book study like this, especially on a long book. It's like we could take an entire year and still not cover everything. I mean, there's just so much that we could cover. And and here at Cornerstone, uh, I'll kind of share about how we do sermon series a little bit. We'll rotate and we'll do some book studies like this where we go and sometimes we go through the entire book if it's a shorter book. Sometimes like this we'll uh, just pick some passages throughout the book and our goal when we do a book study is to give you a, a good overview of the entire storyline. And I think that's so important because it's easy sometimes to pick a verse here or pick a verse there and not see how the verses kind of fit into the larger context and fit into the larger storyline of the Bible. And so we want Sunday mornings here to be more than just a devotion, right? We want you to be able to get in God's Word. And I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to take what you've learned on Sunday morning and then dig deeper. 
uh, and to keep getting in his word. And if I could share one thing that I would, my goal, my desire is to create a hunger in you to learn more about God's word. It really, uh, that's my passion. That's what I want you to do is to take what you've learned here and, and just keep going with it and keep learning. Uh, from time to time, we also do topical series where we'll pick a topic that's of interest to, to you and your stage of life. And even then, when we do topics, though, we'll pick a, a Bible passage and really dig into that Bible passage to learn about it. And, and I just think it's important because you come here, again, you, you don't come to church to hear my opinion. You come to church to get the, the Word of God. And that's really what we need to face the problems we're facing uh, in the world around us. And why do I share all that? Um, because the book of Jeremiah, we, you know, when you study a book like this, an Old Testament prophecy, I'm going to be honest, it's a little tough to preach. Because here we have a message, a prophecy, given to a specific people group in a specific time. And now we're taking it and we're saying, what can we learn from this? How does this apply to our world, our life today? And the amazing thing is, is we see it still applies. It still makes sense. It still has application, even in a different culture, even in a, a different time period. It still can change our life today. And, and so here in the time of Jeremiah, we see a prophet uh, preach year after year to people who didn't want to hear, to a culture uh, that had turned its back against God. And, and as we've gone through this series the last six weeks, what we've talked about is we live in a culture and a world that has a lot of similarities. A, a world that doesn't really respect God's word, doesn't really respect Christianity, doesn't honor it, doesn't believe it, uh, doesn't, you know, we live in a changing time. And so how do we stand firm? How do we keep going forward? How do we keep uh, sharing this message of hope in a world that really doesn't want to hear it? And, and what we see with Jeremiah is he was a, uh, he, we see faithfulness. In the face of opposition, he remained faithful. Now, as we get to close out today, we get to kind of hit the end of the book of Jeremiah. And, and up until this time, Jeremiah has been preaching to the people of Judah. Uh, this is what's about to happen. This is what's going to happen. Uh, you still have a, a chance to turn. Uh, last week, we talked about how it finally got to the point where uh, Jerusalem was overthrown. Uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon came in, captured the city, uh, took everybody away to captivity. Uh, that's really the place we're at now. And so what happens is the book doesn't end there. Now Jeremiah turns his attention to the nation surrounding Judah. So now he's not just talking about God's people. Now he's talking about, okay, there's also judgment coming to the nations surrounding them. And what's interesting is each nation, in some ways, represents a part of culture we see today. And I'm going to walk us through that a little bit today and what we can learn from it. So today is a little bit different type of sermon than you, you typically hear me preach. Uh, lots of information. I'll kind of be covering a lot of ground. Um, but my goal, again, is to, to help you understand uh, the larger story of the Bible and what's happening here. So let's uh, kind of pick it back up at the beginning of the book, all the way back in Jeremiah 1. This is what Jeremiah said. He said, The Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, 
Look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. And so right here from the beginning, we see the message that Jeremiah was given was not just for the Israelites. It was for all the nations. And God has given him a specific task here saying, okay, your message, some of this is going to turn out for good. You're you're going to build up. You're going to plant. Uh, You're going to to encourage. But for some of these kingdoms, uh, some of these nations, your message is one of judgment and destruction. And, and that's really what we find today. Um, I, I think it's really important to know what Jeremiah says to these nations um, because it's a still an urgent warning to us today. We can still look at it and, and see. Um, uh, we can gain some wisdom from that. Now, I don't know about Have you ever thought about how you've gained wisdom throughout your life? Have you ever? I mean, for, for, there's lots of ways we can gain wisdom. Um, there's the painful way when you watch someone else do something, you know, or you've done, maybe you've learned it personally, you've done something stupid and you've learned from it, right? That's a, that's a painful way to gain wisdom. Uh, and so when you've done something in, with disastrous consequences, looking back, you can say, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. And, and so you've gained some wisdom. There's a faster way to gain wisdom, and that is to look at other people's mistakes and learn from them, right? And so that's kind of a shortcut a little bit. When you see someone else do something stupid, you're like, okay, I get it. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't do You start seeing where their mistakes have led them, and you realize the path uh, that they've chosen. You see what's happened, and so you gain some wisdom that way. But there's a third way to even a a more direct shortcut to wisdom. And it's simply to hear from God in the first place, to open up his word and to learn. Um, And so that really is what we want to do today. We want to kind of take a shortcut to some wisdom here and look at what was happening in in, in this time period and say, okay, how can we uh, keep from doing this, keep from making these same mistakes and so what we learn is really the story behind the story here. And so what can we learn? Um, what we see here is God used nations that were against Israel as a way to judge Israel, uh, as a way to discipline Israel. And, and that just shows how powerful God is, that he can take people that don't even believe in him and use them as a tool, as a tool for his plan and his purpose. And that's what we've had happen up until this plan, up until this point. But what we see now is that God is showing that He has not forgotten His people. We see that He still cares about them. And so, all the injustice that has taken place, all the evil that has taken place, all this that has happened with the destruction of the temple and everything else, these nations now have a price to pay for what they have done. And so, uh, really, I think that's important for us uh, to see what we see in the in the Old Testament and the and many of the prophets is we see that God cares about those who have no voice. We see He cares about injustice. We see He cares uh, about those who are, who are oppressed and hurting. And 
In today's culture and world, we've had this uh, kind of a rise of, of what I would call social justice. And, and anytime justice, uh, we see justice, we should be for justice. But we've got to be careful a little bit because oh, what is justice? Well, if we look at what the Bible says, uh, it is. It's caring about the widows and the poor and the orphans and those that have no voice. And so what we see in the Old Testament time, is when we look at that, God, what breaks God's heart should break our heart. What breaks his, his and, and we see God cares about injustice, and He does something about it. I read this this week, though, and it's kind of it made me think a little bit because we see this a lot. And, and again, there's so much that falls under that umbrella of social justice today. It says preachers must be careful lest they allow CNN and Fox News, not to mention Twitter and Facebook, to set the agenda for their weekly pulpit. And, and I believe that, right? We've got to go and, and we've got to go back to God's word. It said if pastors in our day let cultural concerns crowd out the preaching of the new birth, of repentance, of justification by faith, it wouldn't be the first time in the church's history that the gospel became more social than gospel. And I read that and I thought, man, there's a lot of truth there, right? We've got to care about justice. We've got to care about the oppressed. And we've got to to care, but we've got to go back to God's word and, and find out what breaks his heart. And so when we look at Jeremiah's message here, so what we see, we see God's heart was breaking over his people. We, we see his heart was breaking about what had happened to them. And so because of that, these nations now had to face justice. Uh, so with that said, let, let me kind of share some life lessons from Jeremiah. Things that we can learn that would help us and even in our world and our culture today. Here's the first one. Is that we don't worship false gods. Um, what we see in, in this time period, and again, this was written to a specific time period, a place, a, a people. But we see what happened there, and it's happening today. And we see the people were consumed with false gods. Things that they thought would bring them joy and happiness and peace and prosperity. And in the end, it brought destruction and despair. And so what we see here is that all these nations surrounding Judah, they thought they had the answer to life. They thought they had found what they were looking for. And yet they were worshiping the created things instead of the creator God. And we see they kept putting their faith in the wrong place. We see that in our world today, don't we? That so many times people worship things that they think will bring them right fulfillment. This is what I need. If only I had this, then I would be happy. We see that with materialism and greed. And uh, we see that uh, with lust. And we see that with all these different areas in our life where we take things that God has created even for good. And we've allowed them to replace God himself. We've, we look to the things God created for pleasure and purpose instead of allowing God to fill that role. And that's idolatry. And we see the same thing happen today. And so I'm going to walk us through um, uh, what we see here happen at the end of Jeremiah. In chapter 46, Jeremiah turns his attention from Judah to Egypt. And the first nation he's going to address is Egypt. Now, last week we talked about there was a remnant remaining there in Israel. And what did they want to do? They wanted to escape to Egypt. 
they wanted to go back to the very place that had enslaved them. And there we see the problem. God's like, if you go there, you're not escaping your problems. You're not running away from your problems. In fact, you're going to, you're going to experience the very thing you're trying to escape. And we see that, right? And we see that in our world today. People go back to an addiction that has already caused them pain and trouble, thinking they're going to find freedom there. And in fact, they just find enslavement again. They just find that they're running right back into the same old problem time after time. Uh, In in Jeremiah chapter 46 and verse 5 and 6, it says this. uh, um, What do I see? The Egyptian army flees in terror. The bravest of its fighting men run without a backward glance. They are terrorized at every turn, says the Lord. Their, their swiftest runners cannot flee. The mightiest warriors cannot escape. By the Euphrates River to the north, they stumble and they fall. And what Jeremiah is doing here, he's telling them this great and mighty nation of Egypt is going to fall. It's going to be conquered. And we know from history that this, in fact, did happen. Again, I love that we see time and time again, we see prophecy in the Bible fulfilled and not just from the Bible itself, but we see sources outside of the Bible confirm what actually happened. And so Egypt was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, um, and we see them punished. Now, what was the problem with Egypt? Again, it was false gods. It was idolatry. Uh, It was worldliness. Uh, and so you think about that. Um, I read this in, in a book this week, and it said this, Egypt is a fitting symbol of how the world lures believers into its grasp. Egypt kept the Israelites in perpetual bondage, afflicting them with fear and forced labor. Similarly, when we yield ourselves to the world and its pleasures, we invariably we end up in bondage, unable to liberate ourselves from the habits, the fears, and the addictions that keep us enslaved to the world. Worldliness is an attitude toward life in which you think of living only for your pleasures and enjoyment. And that's really what we see in our world today. We see people living for themselves, right? Uh, We see people, it's like, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Why? Because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? It's what the commercial says. We can just do whatever we want. What? It's worldliness. It's worshiping something that we think will bring us joy when, in fact, it enslaves us to our own evil desires, That was the problem with Egypt. And so if we pursue pleasure or wealth or success, we we pursue anything more than we pursue God, then we become worldly people. And in fact, we're living under the same type of bondage as the people of Egypt were. And so we've got to be careful there because we look at this highly successful, sophisticated culture that Egypt had, and yet they completely missed God. And they had plenty of evidence, they had plenty of opportunity to see God at work, right? When the, when the people were liberated, when, and when Moses led the people out of Egypt, they had every reason to see who the true God was, and yet they still chose their stuff over God. As you keep going in Jeremiah, uh, verse, in chapter 46, um, in verse uh, 27 and, and 28, uh, what we see here 
is that God has not forgotten His people. Even in the midst of judging Egypt, He's giving them hope. And so it says, Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Don't be dismayed, Israel, for I will bring you home again from distant lands. And your children will return from their exile. Israel will return to a life of peace and quiet, and no one will terrorize them. Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, for I am with you, says the Lord. I will completely destroy the nations to which I have exiled you, but I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but with justice, because I cannot let you go unpunished. God shows them He still cares. And I I would add here, right, that many people believe that what we see now in the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of this prophecy. Right? That God has brought them home again. He has given them uh, their, their land back and brought them back to this place. And, and, and we see that happening right now, which again, in the prophetic timeline of Scripture, what we see is more and more things are falling into place for Jesus to return. Now, we don't know when He's going to return. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years. It could be a million years from now. We simply don't know. But what we see is things lining up showing that it could happen. And we see more and more prophecy fulfilled. Israel's going to be saved. They're going to be able to return to their land. So don't be discouraged about what is happening now. That's chapter 46. Chapter 47. Jeremiah turns his attention to the Philistines. Um, And this was a nation that was closely associated with Egypt uh, until the rise of the Assyrians. Really, the Philistines, they were the primary enemies of the Israelites. Uh, Philistia and Israel, they had been in a state of war for centuries. Right? You remember David and Goliath. What was Goliath? He was a Philistine, right? Uh, you look and, and, and you, we see Samson kill the, the many Philistines. You see, all they were in this state of war uh, forever. The Philistines lived along the southern coastline of the land of Palestine. In fact, the word Palestine actually comes from the word Philistine. So we see this uh, battle still taking place today, don't we? Uh, this, this, uh, this conflict. The prophecy here in Jeremiah 47 is this is what the Lord says. A flood is coming from the north to overflow the land. It will destroy the land and everything in it, cities and people alike. People will scream in terror and everyone in the land will wail. This is not a literal flood. This is the flood of an army coming in from the north, which was Babylon. Uh, Just saying they're going to come in. They're going to conquer you. Uh, There's going to be judgment. It's going to be swift. It's going to be like a sudden flood that comes. It's going to overtake you. Um, And what what really the Philistines represented in Scripture is they were simply opposed to God. They were opposed to anything about God. Uh, Do you see that kind of spirit in the world today? Do you see that some people, if you just mention the word God, that they're automatically against it. That was kind of the spirit of, of the Philistines there. That was kind of what was going on. And if anything to do with God, they were against it. Uh, they were just completely against God. We see that today. I was just saw uh, something in, in a news article today. I think it was, I want to say Taswell, uh, that they were having trouble because they were praying before their sporting events in the school there. And, and the, the group Freedom From Religion was coming in and saying, uh, you, you can't do that. And when we've got groups that are just titled the Freedom From Religion, you know, I mean, not to get off on a soapbox here, but don't we have the, the right to 
the freedom of religion, right? I mean, we have the right to exercise our... You have a group freedom from religion that wants to keep us from having our right in this country. It's just craziness. Why? But anything that has to do with God, they're opposed to. And, and so... Um, we see that same spirit today. We see that taking place, that some people, if you just mention the name of Jesus, they're going to be in opposition to it. <laughs> that's really what the nation of, of, of Philistia, that's what they were being judged for. They were against anything that had anything to do with God. And so uh, they wanted the blessings and the benefits of living in a place blessed by God, but they didn't want to have to commit themselves to a godly way of living. And so that was chapter 47. We keep going. Chapter 48, we have a prophecy against Moab and other countries, Ammon and Edom and Damascus and Kedar. Uh, these nations are all also enemies uh, of the nation of Israel. And, and so they were destroyed because of their idolatry. When we read this, uh, it says in verse 42 in chapter 48 that Moab had boasted against the Lord. But uh, God had relented here a little bit and said, God promises restoration to these people and says, okay, uh, you're not going to be completely destroyed. In fact, you're going to be able to stay in the land and, and continue. And, and if you study the history of Moab and, and Ammon, uh, what you see is that that is now modern-day Jordan, the country of Jordan. And so what God prophesied came true. They actually were able to remain in the land. And so the nation of Jordan exists today because God keeps His word. It just, it, it's amazing how much, if you start digging into this, how much is there and how much you just see God working things out. And then we get to... Chapter 50 and 51. We're moving fast through this. And again, I encourage you to go back and study some of this on your own. Uh, but 50 and 51 are about Babylon. And they're two of the longest chapters in this book. And they're devoted to the judgment against Babylon. And, and we know from history that the Babylonians were just... It was an evil people. Uh, some of the atrocities they committed were well known even outside of Scripture uh, and everywhere we see Babylon mentioned in Scripture, what we see is it's an enemy of God. And whether it's at the Tower of Babel that we read about in Genesis chapter 10, where people gather to try to, to, to build their own kingdom there, or, or whether it's in Revelation where Babylon is the picture, uh, the, the image of a uh, kind of, of a false of all false religions of of uh, against God everything that has to do against God Babylon is representative of and so we see this imagery throughout scripture that even the name Babylon came to represent false religion and so uh, I just share that right because Babylon there's a lot of worldliness there's a lot of evil there's a lot of uh, paganism idol worship uh, all sorts of atrocities that happened there. And so because of that, God judged them. And we'll get to that in a minute. And that leads me to my second point. Why is God doing all this? Because God is just. God is just. He's a holy God. He's a loving God. But He is a just God. And He must deal with sin. Now for us, thankfully, right, we had someone come and pay the price for our sin because we couldn't pay it. And that price was paid by Jesus. 
But for them, what we see is that God judged them because He was just because of their evilness. Jeremiah chapter 50, we'll pick it up in verse 33. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people of Israel and Judah have been wronged. Their captors hold them and refuse to let them go. But the one who redeems them is strong. His name is the Lord of heaven's armies. He will defend them and give them rest again in Israel. But for the people of Babylon, there will be no rest. The sword of destruction will strike the Babylonians, says the Lord. It will strike the people of Babylon, her officials and wise men too. The sword will strike her wise counselors and they will become fools. Their sword will strike her mightiest warriors and panic will seize them. Their sword will, will strike her horses and chariots her and her allies from other lands and, and they will all become like women. The sword will strike her treasures and they will be plundered. A drought will strike her water supply, causing it to drop. And why? Because the whole land is filled with idols and the people are madly in love with them. So this is kind of talking about what's about to take place, uh, that there will be judgment coming. Now, if you study history, you'll see that Babylon was an incredible world empire. This was an incredible empire here. And not only had they taken most of uh, the Mediterranean area there, they went all the way down into Africa and Egypt. And I mean, this was a mighty, mighty nation. Uh, it was a, very wicked, but at the same time, they showed no mercy. They took, this was an incredible nation. So for them to, for the people to hear this, they're going to be completely overthrown. This was, people were like, what, what are you talking about? They, they, they had to like question Jeremiah. But what he's saying here is that an enemy would invade from the north. Now, as we study history, we find out that the Medes and the Persian that came from modern-day Turkey were actually come down uh, in 539 B.C. Cyrus the Great led his army into Babylon and conquered Babylon. We also read about it in Daniel chapter 5. And so in the book of Daniel, we read about what happened here. And we see it referenced in the book of Ezra as well. Uh, but the city of Babylon supposedly was impenetrable. I mean, the walls were incredible. And so there was no way uh, to, 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 to break into the city. But the, the Medes and the Persians, they had this, this Medo-Persian empire. They, they came up with a plan. Right in the mid middle of a festival when they were partying and getting drunk in Babylon, they dammed up the, the Euphrates River. They walked in. Uh, where, you know, were able to walk in without drowning, came under the city, broke through the steel grates under the city, and captured and killed Nebuchadnezzar right in the middle when they were all drunk and partying. And that's, that's kind of what happened here. This great nation, they, they didn't even have anybody on guard because they knew that nobody could conquer them, and that's when they fell. And so that's really what we're seeing here that God foretold what was going to happen to Babylon exactly as it came to pass. And, and so I share that. Why? Because what we see in Scripture, and this brings me to my third and final point, that God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. We see God say that uh, in verse 39, we'll keep going in chapter 50. Soon Babylon will be inhabited by desert animals and hyenas. It will be a home for owls. Never again will people live there. It will lie desolate forever. I will destroy it as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, says the Lord. No one will live there. No one will inhabit it. 
So if I asked you where, uh, what city lies upon the modern or, or the ancient Babylonian, uh, the ancient city of Babylon, like what, where is that on the map today? Is there a city there today? What would you think? It's in Iraq. You're right there. It's in Iraq. But guess what's there? Nothing. Nothing. It's in the middle of the desert. There is nothing there. In fact, we didn't even know where it was until just a little over 100 years ago uh, when the British, uh, 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 what was it, the, the, the Great Britain's East India Company began doing some archaeological work and actually found the ruins of it buried deep under the sand. And, and, and they're still doing, uh, you know, archaeological digs there. there. There is nothing there. It is desolate. This is one of the great cities of the ancient world, and it was completely destroyed and left uninhabited. God keeps his promises. Now, Saddam Hussein had a plan to rebuild the city. We see kind of how that turned out. <laughs> Didn't work so good. Um, but that's kind of, I mean, I'm amazed the more you study archaeological and, and historical facts, uh, how you see time and time again how people say, well, the city of Babylon, we, it didn't even exist. We don't even, this was all, no, they found it and it did exist and here's why. Um, you see the Bible supported more and more by archaeological finds, by uh, extra biblical literature that was written by historical accounts, uh, by, uh, you just see this happen. Oh, God keeps his promises. Where he said these nations, you'll be able to return to your land. You'll be able to continue to exist. That happened. Where he said they will be destroyed completely. That happened. What does that show us? God keeps his promises that we can trust God. That when we read the words of scripture, this is not just some book that somebody made up. This is really God's word. And so I'll share all that. What do we learn from this? Well, what we learn is that God's end game, what he was going for, was not just punishment. His end game, he was wanting, wanting the people to return to him. He cared so much about them that all this was in the plan of redemption for them. Yes, they must be punished, but he would provide a way for them to be made right, for them to be justified, for them to be brought back to him. And now... We can step back as Gentiles and look at all this that happened and realize that God is truly in control and that he has a plan. Uh, I just think about that and I think about how God will, you know, he is a God of judgment and we may face the opposition. We may face people um, that don't agree with us, that, that, that persecute us even. Now, Romans 16 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. That's the hope we have. That no matter what we go through in this life, that eventually we know how the story ends, that God wins, He is victorious, and nothing that this world can do to us will, will, will affect us for eternity, right? That we have hope. And so I just share that because if we read the story of Jeremiah, you know, you can look at Jeremiah and say, what did he accomplish? In fact, I read this and I thought it was interesting. It was in a commentary I read. It said, it's often been remarked that Jeremiah's life was finally a failure. 
He was alone for most of his ministry. Seemed that no one gave any heed to his words. He was dragged off finally to live his last days in exile against his own will. He was a failure as the world judges human achievement. But a more balanced assessment of him would be that his very words of judgment saved Israel's faith from disintegration. And his words of hope finally helped his people to gain hope in God's future for them. And so I shared this earlier in the series, but I'll say it again. Faithfulness is never failure. Being faithful to God, it's never a failure when we do what God has called us to do. It's not always easy. It's not going to make you popular in life. Um, But we've got to learn how to keep pressing forward and sharing hope. It's what Jeremiah did. Even in the midst of sharing very valid truth and, and judgment, he still showed grace. And, tr- and hope in the midst of that. That's what we're called to do. Uh, we can love people and share hope and grace and truth all at the same time. And so I- I- I'll just share that, that when we go through tough times, we can look back at a book like Jeremiah and say, okay, Jeremiah spent 40 years preaching. No one listened. Uh, the-, the whole country turned against him. They threw him in jail. They uh, you know, tried to to kill him, tried to send, you know, he got sent into exile. All this stuff happened, um, but he was faithful and God blessed that. Now, as we look in the New Testament, um, what we see is this message that God is wanting us to return to him over and over. Same message that they had as the message we have today. Mark 1, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news, the gospel. Acts 2.38, when Peter preaches at Pentecost, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. We see this repentance, this turning to God that over and over again. Uh, it says, then you'll be, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10.9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. We see this, uh, that God made a way for us to be made right with Him. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, that God saved you by grace when you believed. And you you can't even take credit for it because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And so uh, all these verses just keep pointing back to the fact that God has a plan and He wants us to turn back to Him. And so, again, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. I don't know what your struggles are, but I know that God cares. He cared about Jeremiah. He cared about Judah. He cares about you. And He gives you this invitation. Do you believe? Do you believe? That's really what it comes down to. Now, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Have you confessed your belief in Jesus? And when you do, the Bible is very clear. You'll be saved. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. And and so I want to give you that invitation. I want to give you that opportunity. And if you're listening online, this may be the moment that changes your life right now. And for you as here in person as well. Let's pray today and and let's let's take it to the Lord. Heavenly Father... We're so thankful that we were able to to dig into your word and study. And and this book of Jeremiah, it's a complex book. And 
Sometimes it can be disheartening because there's so much judgment and so much evil and so much taking place. But at the same time, it gives us hope that you still care about us. That you are working even in the midst of an evil world. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for, for our nation. I pray for us. I pray for our community. I pray for our church that you would help us to stand strong and not grow weary when things happen around us that uh, that really go against your word. Help us to be faithful. Help us to keep uh, just sharing uh, truth and grace and hope to a world that really needs it. And Heavenly Father, I'm just thankful that you can speak into our life today, that you can encourage us, you can give us hope that Jesus is coming back again. So my prayer today is that everybody here would know the peace that comes from having a real relationship with you. That they would know without a doubt that they have been saved. That their sins have been forgiven. That they have been reconciled to you. And that happens when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save us. This world can't save us. Our stuff can't save us. Nothing. This church can't save us. The only thing that can save us is Jesus. And so, Lord, today, uh, that's where we turn our hope and our focus. So if you're here today, as we're in this spirit of prayers, every head is bowed. If you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity. If you're watching online, this is your opportunity as well. If you don't know Jesus, this is your chance. Would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I confess my sin. I turn from it. I turn back to you, God. And I believe. I believe in Jesus. I'm so thankful that you will forgive me of my sin, that you will cleanse me from all this junk in my life, that you help me to learn to walk in your ways. Uh, I need your help, Lord. Walk with me. Uh, Show me the way. Just help me, Lord. And uh, Lord, I'm just so thankful for Jesus and what he did on the cross for for my sins. If you prayed that, Jesus answered it. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that you still save lives today. That we're still your people. That you still move among us. You still work in our lives. You still care about us. And so to help us uh, just to, to leave this place and to continue to share your love with this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.